the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello. Okay, for those of you who don't know about the show, the show's in two parts. One part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion, nostalgia, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about nostalgia and a little bit about history. We're going to be talking to noted historian Ed Langell about his book, Never in Finer Company, about the Lost Battalion of World War I. And then after that, we're going to be talking to the immortal Ed Bars about, of all things, baseball. I didn't realize this till a fairly short time ago, but Ed was a big baseball fan, a New York Giants fan. I don't know how he became a Giants fan in Montana, except he said he didn't like the Yankees. So for whatever reason, in the Chicago, and his father was a Chicago Cubs fan, so he had to be something different. So we're going to be talking to Ed Bars about baseball, and especially he's I, I, people, I've seen it in writing. I'm not 100% if it's true, but he's the last person alive to see the 1933 All-Star Game. Now, I don't know if there's anybody else out there, but... You know, if there is somebody out there, let us know and we'll see. But, uh, you know, as far as the newspapers, and of course you can't believe what's in the newspapers, but as far as the newspapers go, he's the last person alive to see the 1933 All-Star Game in which he saw Babe Ruth hit a home run. No matter what, I bet you there are not that many people alive today who can talk about it who saw Babe Ruth hit a home run in person. All right, now, getting back to estate planning and elder law, if you have an email question to us, email us at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. AskMikeConnors at gmail.com. So, Beth, let's read one question tonight see how it goes. Okay. Mr. Connors, I heard from the social worker that my mother is not eligible for home care Medicaid because of her income. All her money was transferred to me six months ago, so she only has $8,000 in her checking account. Her monthly income is $1,200. Is this true? Thanks, Bruce. In one respect, I'm sorry to say it is true, but in the other respect, there's some good news. There's something you can do about it. Technically, if you have more than $862 of income, you're not eligible for home care, Medicaid, community Medicaid in New York. You say, oh, well, who has less than $862 income, monthly income? Well, there's a solution. You can set up a pooled income trust. 
And basically, in this case, if we have roughly $1,200 a month income, we set up a pooled income trust where we put $350 in the pooled income trust, and we become eligible for Medicaid. Now, what's a pooled income trust? The way it works, and it's more complicated in describing it the way it works, you set $350 aside to a not-for-profit agency approved by Medicaid, and they can pay, let's say in this case, $350 a month worth of your bills. Some people get confused. I lose $350. I can't, I can't afford to lose $350 a month rent. No, you don't lose it. The money is set aside and it's used to pay bills. So let's say if you rent, it, it could pay part of your rent. Obviously, $350, we could pay maybe cable, electric, gas, those type of bills. We could pay a food bill. We can pay practically any type of bill you could think of. We can't pay for medical. We can't pay for alcohol or for cigarettes, tobacco, but we can pay it for virtually any other kind of bill. So in other words, let's say somebody has $2,000 a month income and they have $1,100 a month in the pooled income trust. It could be used to pay your rent. If you own a house, and I hope the house is in a trust, we can use it to pay your real estate taxes. It is a very good tool to allow people in the middle class with income over $800 a month to be eligible for home care community Medicaid. And virtually anybody who really needs the care over 65 or disabled who really needs the home care Medicaid, community Medicaid. You get your assets under $15,000 of your resources. Hopefully, if you have a house, you put it in the trust. And then, as far as your income is concerned, you open up a pooled income trust. You make a deposit into the pooled income trust. And the month after, you're eligible for Medicaid, home care Medicaid, community Medicaid. Now, they're totally different rules for nursing home Medicaid. So don't get confused. For nursing home Medicaid, we have a five-year look-back period. For home care Medicaid, it's month-to-month. And so, for instance, if you get all your assets out of your name in September, and the best way to usually do it is through trusts, if you get all the assets out of your name in September, you can apply for home care, community Medicaid on October 1st. There is no look-back period. There is no penalty period for home care Medicaid. It's month to month. You put your assets in a trust today in September, you can apply for home care community Medicaid on October 1st. And this is one of the things. If you want to attend one of our seminars, we're going to have seminars in Queens at the end of September. We're going to be in Howard Beach, Maspeth, and Bayside, and we'll give you the exact times and places for these seminars. But if you have any questions, you want to find out when we're doing a seminar. And by the way, you know, I haven't done this in a while, but if, if you have a church or a community group and you want us to do a seminar, give us a call. We'll do it. Just give us a few months' notice. We'll do the seminar. Just give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. And talking about estate planning, each week on the Kevin McCullough Show, we answer one question for one of Kevin's listener. Hi, Kevin McCullough. We love to keep our promise to you, and that is to have Mike Connors here from Connors & Sullivan every single week answer an important question about estate care and elder law. And Mike, this week's question comes from a lady named Georgia. She said, I have an aunt who's in her 80s, but she is lucid. She's just immobile and homebound. I'm the only niece she has and the only one who can help her out, but I don't know where to start. My friend told me that I would need to be appointed her guardian in the future to manage her affairs. Is this true, Mike Connors? Well, yes, she could be appointed guardian to manage her future, but that's going through court, and that's very expensive, and I would say a minimum of $15,000 with no complications. Now, if the aunt is lucid, the aunt can sign a PAV attorney and designate her nieces or agents so we don't have to go to court and we don't have to go to guardian appointed because if you get a guardian appointed, you have to pay for your own lawyer. The aunt gets a court-appointed lawyer. There may be an independent lawyer reviewing the situation, and when you start paying for three lawyers, it gets expensive. Sure. 
Well, uh, if they have any further questions about something like this, they should call Connors and Sullivan because your entire team is equipped to answer these questions in the most efficient way possible. Give them a call today, 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Locations throughout the five boroughs and convenient uh, to uh, get to. So call them today, set up an appointment, and get your the situation evaluated, 718-238-6500, or you can send your questions to Mike Connors at MikeConnors at gmail.com. He'll answer another question next week at this same time. And don't forget, Mike's on the radio, Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock on AM 570, The Mission, and Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you again, Kevin. So right now, Ed Lengel, the Lost Battalion in World War One, never in finer company. After that, Ed Bars on baseball, especially the 1933 All-Star Game. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, September 25th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard, Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., then in Maspeth, Queens on Wednesday, September 26th at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. And finally at The Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard, Bayside, Queens, on Friday, September 28th at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 238 That's Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors & Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors & Sullivan, plan now for later. Hi, this is Jean Patton of Catholic Charities, Brooklyn, Queens, and a former player of the New York Islanders. I'm proud of my years playing hockey with the Islanders during the Cup years, and I'm also very proud of the work carried out every day by Catholic Charities, who is always there for children and youth, adults and seniors, veterans, mentally ill and homeless, with 160 programs and over 3,700 units of affordable housing. For more information, visit ccbq.org. We are committed to changing lives and building communities. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. 
Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, a lot of times people talk about history and they say the Korean War is, is the forgotten war. But to some extent, I, I think World War One is really forgotten in, in U.S. history. And we're trying to correct that today because we have Ed Lengel out here, noted historian and author, and he's got a book about Never in Finer Co- Company, The Men of the Great War's Lost Battalion. Welcome to Connor's Corner, Ed. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Obvious question, what's the book about? The book is about four men who participated in the Great War. Three of them were Medal of Honor recipients, uh, two men named Charles Whittlesey and George McMurtry both served with the New York 77th Division and commanded what was known as the Lost Battalion. The third man is Alvin York, the great uh, Sergeant York of Gary Cooper movie fame, who a lot of people don't realize was involved in the action that rescued the Lost Battalion. And the fourth is the great journalist, the great New York journalist and sports writer, Damon Runyon, who told the story of these three men as they emerged from the Argonne Forest in uh, 1918 and what their experiences were there. So it, it kind of takes these four men from their different perspectives, their different experiences. They were all unlikely heroes in their own way, and it takes them through a common crucible of experience in World War I's Argonne Forest uh, and explores not only how they dealt with it personally, but how their story really became part of the American tapestry. It tries to show why this is still so important for us today. Now, how did they become the Lost Battalion? Set up the stage for us. So the 77th Division was raised almost entirely from greater New York City. Many of these were guys who were drafted from uh, Manhattan or from Brooklyn. Many of them came from the Lower East Side. Uh, Lots of them were first or second generation immigrants. Uh, And again, they were all draftees. This was the first draftee division to be sent to the Western Front. And the division's officers were blue bloods. Uh, They were men who were successful lawyers like uh, Charles Whittlesey, or like George McMurtry was a successful stockbroker. He was a millionaire stockbroker. He had a great sense of civic duty. So the 77th was thrown into combat on the Western Front and told in the autumn of 1918 to attack something called the Archon Forest, which was held by the Germans. Charles Whittlesey, in command of a battalion of the 308th Regiment, attacks into the forest and finds a hole in the German lines, which is a good thing, but none of his fellow units on either side find any holes. Uh, Whittlesey's unit advances through the hole, uh, and along with some some other companies, they are uh, cut off and surrounded by German troops on all sides. And for several days, they're attacked from different directions, and uh, they have to hold out without any food, without any water, without any medical supplies, and they showed tremendous heroism in being able to to hold on, uh, but it came at a great cost. How many men were in the battalion, and how many eventually walked out? There were about 900, approximately uh, 900 men all told in the group, and uh, something like uh, 200 walked out of the forest uh, on their own two feet. Uh, the vast majority of them were killed or wounded. 
and uh, yet somehow they held on. Now, as you mentioned, these guys were draftees, so I assume there were very few professional soldiers in the division. There were none, really. The men themselves being draftees had really no experience of combat. Uh, it's, it's funny, when the 77th Division entered the front lines the first time, German scouts assumed that an Italian division had entered the lines because these guys are all talking to each other in their, in their native languages. Many of them had just come over from Italy uh, or the old country. So they had no experience. And their officers were well-intentioned amateurs. None of them were professionals. Earlier on the show, a year or so ago, you mentioned the fact that really the United States Army was not prepared for combat in the beginning days of World War One. Yeah, that's true. That's the cost of unpreparedness. The we had no equipment really to speak of. The training was based on 19th century ideas of combat. And uh, the officers and men themselves really had no idea how, how to conduct themselves. And uh, again, that was something that we paid a terrible cost for in, in casualties up front. All right. So your book focuses on four men. Major, what is it, Whittlesey? Whittlesey, yes, Charles Whittlesey. Now, who's he and what does he do? Charles Whittlesey was a um, graduate of Harvard Law School who lived first in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and then he became a successful lawyer in uh, New York City. And uh, he was he was just a young amateur who was a very intellectual fellow. Uh, he had no experience of soldiering. But like a lot of other privileged young men of his time, he had a, a tremendous sense of civic duty. He felt he owed something to his country. So when we entered the war, he volunteered to become an officer uh, to command troops. Uh, he was a young man who was an incredibly conscientious individual. He took everything. He took the, the welfare of each one of his men personally was utterly dedicated to them in, in the pocket, showed great heroism, was recognized as one of our greatest heroes in the war, but he was so tormented with a sense of survivor's guilt, uh, with uh, the feeling that every man who had died there was his fault, even though he was a hero. Uh, and he was crushed by that sense of guilt, uh, so crushed by it that in 1921, he ended his own life. Uh, he he just couldn't couldn't get over what what he had seen and what he remembered there. Next captain, that's bad enough. But Captain George McMurtry, who was he, and, and what did he accomplish? So George McMurtry was an Irish American from New York City. Uh, again, from a privileged family. His father had come from an immigrant family, and he had come to own a number of coal mines in western Pennsylvania. So George started out well and became a very successful businessman and earned a million dollars as a stockbroker. Everybody loved him. He had a, a very outgoing personality. He was known to be a very funny guy, uh, but also very stolid and, and diehard, dedicated Again, like Whittlesey, with a tremendous sense of civic duty. So when the war begins, he, like Whittlesey, volunteers to um, command troops and serves with the Lost Battalion. He also receives a Medal of Honor for his dedicated service during the war. Um, when the war is over, 
McMurtry deals with many of the same demons that other veterans did and do. He, uh, his personality changes. He becomes uh, very difficult to get along with. He becomes very irritable. Uh, he has difficulty with his family. But what he does with that, uh, his feelings and his torment, is he channels it into his dedication to the survivors, to the veterans of the Lost Battalion, and dedicates much of the remainder of his life to managing the Lost Battalion. Each day, uh, each I'm sorry, each year that Lost Battalion survivors meet, George McMurtry raises a toast, and he says, gentlemen, we will never be in finer company than we are today. Uh, hearkening back to something that Charles Whittlesey had said when they marched out of the Argonne Forest. Alvin York. Now, to me, Alvin York is Gary Cooper, and that's about all I know about him. Who was Alvin York? <laughs> Alvin York, first of all, is my third cousin, so I'm a, I'm a member oh. of the family. I know the country that he comes from up in the uh, in the hills of East Tennessee, and I know what those people are like. They're, they're Scots-Irish pioneers. He was a man who struggled to decide whether the war was right and whether it would be right for him to go off to war and to kill uh, the enemy in the name of his country. He was a man who had a very violent upbringing, a very rough and tumble, extremely poor upbringing, and who became a Christian, had a conversion experience before the war, and became such a devout Christian that he believed for a time that war was evil and immoral. And as the movie shows, he he had to go through a long process before he could decide whether he would be willing to fight or be a conscientious objector. Uh, eventually, he does. York serves with the 82nd All-American Division, which also is made up of a lot of men who are immigrants. They're draftees also. Many of them come from New York City. York goes into the Argonne Forest as the, at the same time the Lost Battalion does. He enters from a different direction, and his heroic action on October 8, 1918, in which he and a number of other Americans capture 132 German prisoners, and that's where York uh, gets his Medal of Honor, that action helped to save the Lost Battalion as well and to rescue them from the forest. Later on, these three men come together in November 1921 when they all meet and they stand on the podium at the burial of the unknown soldier in Arlington Cemetery. Uh, and they're, they're coming from different perspectives. These are, these are three, three American heroes uh, who gave everything to their country, but they, they each carried uh, different, different lessons away from it. And what York did with it was that he dedicated himself, he dedicated his liberty that he had to the poor and to the less fortunate people of, of East Tennessee. Every penny of money that he received, he fed into the uh, Alvin York Foundation that was dedicated to the education of uh, poor people uh, to teach them to be successful farmers. And that gave him a sense of peace that Charles Whittlesey, unfortunately, was never able to find. One last name, Damon Runyon. Now, what's his connection? Damon Runyon, what a character. <laughs> he, is, he is a remarkable man. So 
he too, he was uh, born in Kansas. He actually had his upbringing in Colorado and worked as a small time uh, newspaper editor near Denver, Colorado for, uh, for some time. And uh, he moves, he struggles with alcoholism uh, and a number of other things. He moves to New York City in 1910 at a really vibrant, exciting time in the, uh, in the city's history and becomes a sports writer. Now, he was a, he was a veteran of the Spanish-American War who became dedicated and interested in the stories told by the common man. He liked when he was on a story, if it was a sports story or any other story, whether he was going to the polo grounds or uh, going anywhere else, to kind of get behind the scenes, see what the people are talking about, and listen to them. And when World War I begins, he wants to become a war correspondent, and he finally gets his commission to go overseas, <clears throat> and the very first story that he covers is the Lost Battalion. He's actually standing there when the men of the Lost Battalion walk out of the Argonne Forest, and he is one of the first reporters to interview Charles Whittlesey and George McMurtry, and he's, he's haunted by what he sees, but he becomes almost obsessed with trying to find out the real story of what happened, not just to talk about the generals and to talk about the movements of armies and, and the like, but to try to get to the story of the common man. And what he does, because he knows that these men in the Lost Battalion are from New York City, he really takes their experiences and what they've seen and done, and he writes stories about it for the New York American and really weaves that into the story of America. He says this, this is part of the American pageant. This is part of what it means to be an American. Even if you're, you're an Italian or a German or a Pole or a Jew or wherever you came from and you're, you're serving with the, uh, the 77th Division, you know, you too are an American soldier and you too are part of the, uh, part of the American story. Uh, so he's the storyteller. He's he's the man who brings it all together. And when he goes on in the, the 1920s and 1930s to write his stories about Broadway and the Great White Way, it's really heavily influenced by what he's seen at the front, what he's seen in France. Uh, it becomes part of part of his story of America. Some of the people out there, I'm sure some of the people out there have no idea who Damon Runyon was. Can you sell some of the works, you know, like Guys and Dolls and things like that? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, the great the great Guys and Dolls is that uh, was made into a play on Broadway. It's it's a series of stories. I I just read it through recently. Incredibly funny stories um about the high rollers, the gamblers, the gangsters. The uh, the dames or the dolls, as he would call them, who who lived in New York City and Broadway, and who who made it such a vibrant and exciting place uh, to live. He wrote a whole series of uh, of stories about New York City, and he loved New York City so much, and he also remembered the First World War so powerfully that when when he died in 1946. He left it in his will 
that the great American fighter pilot ace Eddie Rickenbacker should fly his airplane over Times Square and scatter Damon Runyon's ashes over Times Square uh, as kind of a symbolic act to bring together his love of New York City and his memories of the First World War. Now, today, the Department of Health would give him a terrific fine for that, or at least Rick Macker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, it was it was illegal when it actually happened, right. too, but uh, he got away with it. <laughs> now, you're talking about events that happened 100 years ago. Why is it important to the, to the American today to learn about these men? So each of these stories, each of these individual stories of individual Americans affected their families, affected their children, their grandchildren, the way they lived. I have been in touch since I began writing about World War I many years ago with many descendants of uh, veterans, of children, grandchildren, and the rest, who tell me how their ancestors' experiences changed the way they lived. Uh, You know, these are guys who came home, they had trouble um, readjusting, or they remembered their their comradeships, or they were changed in some way. It changed the way their families lived. It changed them in a million different personal ways. I think by getting back to the, the personal, the individual stories, we can find out so much about ourselves. And you know, when we look at the stories of these immigrants, these are guys, many of them were unnaturalized immigrants who felt this duty and this responsibility to show that they were Americans. There are so many great lessons there uh, for Americans today uh, to, to see what they lived and what they experienced and, and draw upon that for ourselves in the 21st century. I have a question. Do you know who, when the last surviving member uh, of the battalion passed away? That's a good question that I don't know. I guess it would be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The Survivors Association began to fade away in the 1950s. That's when George McMurtry died in the 50s. Uh, It continued on into the 60s, but. I think it had its last meeting in in the early 60s. The name of the book, Never in Finer Company, the author, Ed Langell, The Men of the Great Wars Lost Battalion. Ed, thank you for bringing history to life on Connor's Corner. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com 
backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. You know, I was interviewing the great Ed Bars about the Battle of Brooklyn, and those of you know Ed Bars, sometimes we get involved in stream of consciousness. So then we started talking about baseball, and I had learned earlier that Ed is probably the only living person who saw the 1933 All-Star Game in person. So we just started talking about how he got to, to see the 1933 All-Star Game, and he started by talking about his grandmother, and we started taping just at that point because maybe we thought we had something special. So I'm asking Ed about the 33 All-Star Game, and he tells a story about his grandmother. She's gone to college. The first person in my immediate family that had gone to college she was an educator, and uh, she wanted, she planned to take her daughter, myself, my brother, and my father to the Century of Progress in 1933. She had heart trouble and died of a heart attack on January 6th, 1933. She put money in escrow to pay for a trip to the World's Fair in 33. And uh, my mother decided she was going to take advantage of her mother's generosity, and we would go to the World's Fair. We went to the World's Fair. Now, enter on the stage, a stage, a stage. Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis. We were back there to see the World's Fair, uh, the 1933 Century of Progress. And uh, my grandfather and his sister were, were good friends of Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who was the last real commissioner of baseball who had gonads. <laughs> And he had been picked as commissioner. He's been picked as commissioner of baseball following the Blackhawk scandal. And my grandfather and my his sister knew him well. So my father, who was a baseball fan, capitalized on them being childhood friends of Judge Landis to hit Judge Landis up for two tickets to the All-Star Game. So we saw Judge Landis. Judge Landis 
always kept baseball's uh, headquarters for the commissioner was always in Chicago. And he always used to go to the Cubs and the White Sox games. And so we went, uh, my grandfather took me to the White Sox, to the Cub game and took my father and he introduced us to Judge Landis. Judge Landis then told me, uh, saying I was nine years old, he said, would you like to go to the All-Star game? The first one. They didn't know there'd be a second one. And I said, yes. So he gave my father two tickets to the All-Star game. And that's how I, and so my father got two freebie tickets to the All-Star game. They were not the best tickets in the house. They were in the deep, uh, they were in the right field uh, grandstands, which were not good at Kaminsky Stadium. You uh, had a difficult time of seeing the ball field particularly right field. Luckily for me, Babe Ruth was playing right field. And in the second inning, uh, Babe Ruth hit a home run. And so that was my first view. That's where I got a first view of Babe Ruth as he circled the bases. And he was always a big showman. And he uh, put on a good show as he ran, ran around the breachers, uh, ran around the bases because uh, you could not see him when he was in the field. But later in the day, you will see him because it uh, looked like the uh, National League was going to win in the eighth. It was going to tie the game or win in the eighth inning. They had uh, Frankie Frisch on first base, and they, uh, and uh, uh, Chick Hafey came up and hit what he thought was a home run. Babe Ruth made a circus catch Rob Chickhavy of a home run with a man on base, and the National League, the National League lost the first All Star game. Okay, she saw Babe Ruth. What other players do you remember from that game? All right, we, on the, on the uh, American lead, they had uh, Lefty Gomez one was the winning pitcher. Gary was probably in his last all-star game because he'd been already diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. But he, but he was one of the, was one of the two to greet Ruth when he crossed the base. Uh, Jimmy Fox was in the game. Uh, Robert, uh, Bob, Bobby Grove was a, was the, uh, was the, was the, was the winning pitcher for the American League. He was then playing for the for the A's. That's the uh, Philadelphia A's. Was co- had, had had retired a year and a half before, and they brought him back to manage the, the National League. And Connie Mack, in his civilian clothes and his straw hat, managed the American League. Chuck Klein was there. Hack Wilson was there. Frankie Frisch was there. Now you were and old- a large number of them were. You were a New York the Giant year, fan. of course, is the year that Hubble struck out the five greatest pitch batters in baseball. He struck out Ruth, Gehrig, Fox, Simmons, and Cronin. I only heard that one on the radio. Now, you were an old Giant fan, so you saw Carl Hubble in the 33 All-Star game, right? My, my father was a Cub fan, so I was a Giant fan because the Cubs and the Giants were big rivals. And I didn't want to be rooting for a loser. <laughs> well, your father won in 1932. Your Giants won in 33. Yeah, yes. 
Who was your favorite Giant baseball player? Carl Hubble. Carl Hubble? Okay. So yeah. then you were you must have been excited then when he struck out all those guys in the next World Series, the uh, next All-Star yes. game. Yes. And uh, probably then uh, Melot because he was uh, he had that strange hitting stance. Yeah, my father's favorite baseball player, of course, he was from New York, was Mel Ott. Mel Ott, huh? Yeah, yeah. He was, you know, he was a big Giant fan until they moved to San Francisco. Then he became a Met fan. Yes, I saw the I saw, the last time I saw the Giants was 1955 because I believe they moved the next year, didn't they? Fifty after the 57 season, they moved. So they moved. The, they, so they moved, and then I rooted him for him a while. But I uh, that would be the that would be the last giant game I saw him. Mays was with him by then, right? Now, I, you know, I can't believe when I look at the rosters of all the great ball players who were there in 1933. Like you said, Frankie Frisch, but Bill Terry, Pepper Martin, Roger Hornsby, Rogers Hornsby. Jake Heavey was an aberration because he played with glasses on. Paul Wayne was there, too. Lefty O'Doul. We once had a show about Lefty O'Doul. Yeah. Did you did you go to many Giant games? I didn't go to any New York Giant games. They left when I was six years old. Okay. I, you know, the reason I hated the Yankees worse than anybody, because uh, in 1936, it was a 10-cent World Series. And the Giants were playing the Yankees. The Giants won the first game with Carl Hubble pitching. And then the second game, I had to ride horseback to school, six miles. And when I got home, I found out the Giants had been beaten the worst that any team had ever been beaten in a World Series game. Hal Schumacher lost the game 18-3. to So I've always hated the Yankees since then. Still today. Yeah. Very good. We enjoy that. <laughs> a lot of us Met fans out here are not too fond of the Yankees, so thank you for yes. that. Any last thoughts about that All-Star game? Anything you can say that you remember that, that, that you still remember, you know, whatever, 85 years later? Then the other game, uh, the, uh, the, the most exciting giant game I ever saw on television was when they wrote, when they played Cleveland, I believe, in six in uh uh, 45, uh, 54. 64. 54. 54, they played Cleveland in the World Series. Yes. And Cleveland had won more games than anybody had ever won when when there were 154 games. And, uh, and the most wonderful game was that first game in that one when uh, Willie Mays made that circus catch, and then uh, the guy went wild with the bat. Yeah. I mean, that was probably about 460, 470 feet from home plate. So you can't even conceive yeah. of that today. The guy would be in a parking lot, <laughs> a lot of ballparks. Then, then, then I saw, I saw, I took the day off from work in 1951 when the Giants had made up 13 games in, the, in September to play your Dodgers. Well, I, and the people from work knew I had taken the day off. They knew what bar I was going to be washing it in, and they made a horrible mistake. They called me up at the top of the ninth <laughs> when the Dodgers were ahead. Needless to say, they didn't answer the phone at the end of the ninth. <laughs>
You know, now, now some of the people may not realize, but at the end of that game, Bobby Thompson hit a three-run homer to win the game for the Giants. Yep, yep. That's what I. That's what I, I, I got up and danced on the bar. <laughs> you were dancing on the bar, 1951. Yeah, yeah because I did. They won the World Series. They they went to the World Series, right, yeah, brother? And then they played the Yankees again. Yeah, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> Well, 1954, they won the World Series, so you can't complain too much. Yeah. All right. We're going to see you in New York in a couple of weeks, I assume, I hope. Yes, yes, you will. All right. Okay, nice chatting. Very good, Ed. See you soon. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500 or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. The Gill for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Well, you know, I didn't really expect to be talking to Ed Bars about baseball, but as usual, <laughs> I did learn a few things. Of course, one of the things I learned that uh, Ed Bars was a Giant fan. And Beth, how, how'd you like that story about 1951, he's dancing on the bar and, and when Bobby Thompson <laughs> hit the home run? He has always been cool. He has <laughs> always been cool. So that's enough said. Doesn't matter whether it's baseball or Civil War, Ed Bars is cool. And, of course, it was interesting to know that he always hates the Yankees. Well, I think you do, too. Yes. Well, I wouldn't say hate's too strong a word. You know, I wouldn't say hate Oh, okay. okay. I don't mind when they lose, but I don't hate them by any stretch. 
you know, hate is is too destructive. But he loved the New York Giants, right? Right. This he did he follow him out to California? Well, he was in Montana. No, but I mean, he liked them. That was his team forever. Yeah, until they moved, then he lost interest. Until they moved That's to San what, Francisco, okay. but okay. He, you know, he remembers watching ball games on TV. You know, the World Series with Willie Mays making the catch in the 1954 World Series. Well, that was your dad's team, right? Right, right. And it's interesting, you know, the 1933, you know, All Star Game. Of course, Ed, I don't think is is quite as knowledgeable of baseball as he is of the Civil War. Of course, nobody is as knowledgeable of the Civil War. <laughs> As Ed Barr. So, I mean, you know, I don't think Lou Gehrig was suffering from ALS back then because he still had a number of good seasons. He had good seasons in 34, 35, 36, 37. And even in 1938, he wasn't a bad ball player. So I think Ed's got his years a little mixed up on that. It wasn't Lou Gehrig's last All-Star game. But it was a very interesting All-Star game. And, you know, statistics are a lot different then than now. Batting averages were a lot higher back in the early 30s. Home runs were less. So it's it's really hard to compare players or whatever. But, you know, the amount of great ball players that were there in that All-Star game, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Babe Ruth, Paul Wehner, Chick Hafey, you know, Hall of Famers. Maybe some of them shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. We're not going to get into that discussion. That's already been right. done a you know, few times on our show. And it's just great nostalgia. And it's great that there was somebody there in 1933 who saw those guys play. You know, how many people you know, have actually seen Babe Ruth hit a home run and can talk about it? <laughs> I wonder what else Ed has seen that we don't know about. Right. He was also you a know, Chicago this- Bears fan, so we, maybe we'll spend a show talking to yeah. him about that. But here's the thing. On <laughs> September 12th, out in the audience there, you can see Ed Bars in person. And he's going to be at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. That's 51st Street off 5th Avenue near St. Patrick's Cathedral. The cost for members is $50. The cost for non-members is $60. And the topic is going to be Ask Ed Anything. So if you have any questions about the Civil War, remember, this is going to be the Civil War Roundtable. So ask any questions about the the Civil War. Ed will answer them. That's Wednesday, September 12th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. Dinner at 6. Doors open at 530. Cocktail hour. The cost for non-members is $60. You get a three-course meal, and you get... You get to talk to history. You get to talk to Ed Bars. Ed Bars was with the National Park Service for 50 years. Ed Bars memorized every battlefield report of the Civil War. In a couple of weeks or a month or so, we're going to have Ed about the the Battle of Brooklyn, which, being politically correct, he reminded us he was going to, because the show is being taped in Brooklyn, he was going to say the Battle of Brooklyn, not the Battle of Long Island. <laughs> but if you want a reservation, if you want to call, you got you got to get a reservation. The phone number is 718-341-9811. 718-341-9811. We need to know, we need to set up, we need to know how many people are coming, we need to set up the tables. Ed Bars, occasionally Ed Bars sells out, so please call as soon as possible, but definitely call more than a few days before the dinner. And I can guarantee you this, you see Ed Bars, it's worth the price of admission. And you know, we keep saying this, and of course he keeps coming back. We keep saying, you know, how many times more are we going to see Ed Bars? He's 95. How many more times can he come up to New York and make a, make a speech? But at the same time, from my understanding, he's going to leave our roundtable. He's got to be in Washington the next day at uh, 12 noon, and then he's taking a flight to Europe after that to go on another, you know, history conversation. So, you know, God bless him. Let's enjoy him God while we got him. Right. Ed Bars on September 12th. And you know, anything. we didn't spend a lot of time about estate planning and elder law this week. So 
if you have any questions, check in on our seminars. We're going to be in Queens at the end of this month, 11 o'clock, 3 p.m., Howard Beach at Lenny's Clam Bar on Tuesday, September 25th. Maspeth Connolly's Corner, we're going to be there at 11 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 7 p.m. on Wednesday, September 26th. On Friday, September 28th, we're going to be in Bayside at the Adria, 11 o'clock and 3 p.m. Friday, September 28th. That's on Northern Boulevard. And again, if you have any estate planning questions, come on over. We'll answer the questions. You know, our seminar usually takes about an hour, but then questions and answers in some cases can go 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour, maybe longer. That's the best part. Yeah, and I'll always stay to the end to answer every question. If if there are a couple of you that have some extra questions, we'll break off in semi-private and ask you questions then. But if you want to go to one of those seminars in Queens in September, now we're going to be in Manhattan and Staten Island in October, but if you want to go to one of those seminars in Queens, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Again, we want to know how many people are there to set up the room properly. Make sure occasionally happens, not often, but every once in a while we get sold out and every season taken. So we want to know that. So give us a call at 718-238-6500. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, September 25th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard, Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Then in Maspeth, Queens on Wednesday, September 26th at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. And finally at the Adria. 221-17 Northern Boulevard, Bayside, Queens, on Friday, September 28th at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors & Sullivan, plan now for later. A preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.